two misguided coaches, one formidable goal. This is the Centre Pass Podcast. Welcome to episode four, the Centre Pass Podcast. Um, and it's quite a special one today, isn't it, mate? That's right, mate. Yeah, big, uh, big, big news. Uh, what is it, Cam? Um, well, we've had our first guest on. For, and and uh, we've been ramping up to this a little bit, been teasing it a bit. We've had our first guest today. And boy, was I excited to talk to her, wasn't I? You, you, are, you are still excited. I can actually still see your fists pumping. Your legs are twitchy. It's you, you've got some endorphins running through your veins there, mate. It was just like it was just awesome to, to get these insights and stuff like that. But don't go anywhere. We're going to get to that very soon. But we're going to touch up on our housekeeping a little bit. Um, so I think you have a little bit to talk about trials. Yeah, that's right, mate. So um, since we've last released an episode, we've now heard that trials are going to be taking place in early March. So premier and senior trials will be taking place on the 3rd and 5th of March. That's Thursday the 3rd of March and uh, Saturday the 5th of March. And then there's going to be a final trial, which is by invitation only on the 10th of March. Now, the thing about this is that we're not going to be taking people on the day. So you need to register for these trials ahead of time and you can find out more information about how to register and the trials on our Facebook page. All right. Um, and I guess the next thing we're going to is the feedback response. Yeah, that's right, mate. As usual, we have been flooded um, with a lot of questions, a lot of feedback, um, which we really, really genuinely appreciate. Um, for us, it's a really good chance to engage with you. Uh, no matter where you are um, in the world, and in fact, we have our first bit of international feedback. How good. But a question here. I've got would it straight like here. Lead it? What's that? Would you like to lead us on? I would love to lead you on. I mean, lead us on with the um, with the question. It comes from Ben Brook, who lives in uh, southwest London. He said, love the podcast idea, guys. I'm based in London and was wondering if there was a translated version for the UK being considered. I, I do understand we speak New Zealand English here, which can be very, very confusing. But Machu has had some time in the UK, so hopefully he can sort out a little bit of translation for you if needed. Yeah, uh, feel free to, uh, <laughs> if there are particular words that need some help or, or anything like that, happy to provide a, uh, a middle ground potentially, and I'll, I'll work on my accent a wee bit more. But do want to uh, say hi to Ben and his family, and his lovely cat, Amber, as well. How nice. I had a little bit of feedback from um, someone about our last episode, particularly. Oh, yeah? And they gave us a couple of questions, but we sort of, I feel like, covered them a little bit. So I'm going to go to the main one, which was, she was really interested in how did the two coaching groups' selections differ between us and the actual selecting coaches at the blast trials that we were at? Oh, yeah. Okay. Good question. So to you, Kate... <clears throat> they didn't differ too much and and where they did differ is where you wanted to know and so there was a couple people obviously we can't go into too much detail but a couple people who we might have picked or they might have picked that we thought was a bit bit odd a bit different when we asked around the why a lot of it came down to, to netball sense i guess and a little bit of maybe backgrounds on them how they how they knew those players trained and stuff like that which was quite reassuring wasn't it yeah, that's right. I think where the, the majority of the differentiating was A, in knowledge of the player from previous trials. Um, again, we didn't have that knowledge, so we were never going to have that sort of level of comparative knowledge and 
who we would choose. Uh, and then, yeah, like you've mentioned, uh, a little bit of previous form as well. So there were a couple of players, I think, who were absent um, that may or may not have made the squad um, because, again, it came down to what they are available to do, what their potential is, I should say. And so that's basically, again, a little bit of an absence of what we had because we're new. And that's okay. Yeah. And like, obviously, we can, I think I started to maybe pick up on a little bit of that new pool scene. They knew who they thought was able to make the step up as well. That was um, the big one for them. Exactly. And it is worth bearing in mind that we did not know anybody in that trial. And, and so when you don't have that knowledge handy, you don't have um, the potential that they can play towards. You don't have the history of the player and, and, and the form that they show. So, you know, in a sense, we were very, very green and walking into a room with a lot of expertise, not just about the game, but about the players uh, as well. A good question though, very good question. Thank you very much for your feedback. It was uh, it was lengthy and passionate and we love to see that sort of stuff. Love to see it, absolutely. The next thing we've been asked, which has probably been one of the hottest questions we've been asked, multiple requests, yeah. an update needed to be provided on what we would be wearing next season. Would you like to give it? Yeah, that, see that sounds quite objectified, doesn't it? But it's not at all. Um, for those of you who are listening to maybe this is the first episode, um, we put a bit of a poll out on an earlier Instagram story uh, asking whether we should be wearing on game day, whether we should be wearing um, suits or whether we should go for a track suit style in the form of Ted Lasso, that sort of kind of area. We've had a chat and we've done a bit of purchasing and we're very happy to confirm that we've decided to do both. And so what we're going to be doing is that on uh, game days, on the Saturdays, we'll most likely be wearing suits. And then on training days, we'll most likely wear our track suits that we do have. And we are going to drop a bit of a photo shoot cam at a later date so that you guys get a bit of an idea of what it looks like ahead of the first game of the season. I'm, I'm quite excited for that to get my little model on and really step up that media game. Yeah, look, I mean, there's going to be some fire content coming. There's going to be some, some fire content. So, there certainly is. And so the next piece, and we've said we'll do this every episode here on in, probably failed at this already a little bit, but it's Dear Diary. So you have found a way to save us this week. Talk me through it. Hit the music. Dear Diary. This week... I've learned about the diary. It's important to know that while there are many pages, there is also a lot of stuff inside the diary that I need to fill out. My name, my address, my preferred name, and phone number. But amongst that, there are also other very handy things that I've started to read. One of them including a season plan and a monthly season plan. This is a plan that's offered month by month to showcase really important things to help me prepare for the season. Some of them include competitions, skill focus, tactical focus, player welfare and player development. Unfortunately, I haven't really started writing in it because I'm still yet to learn quite a few of these things. It is great though and I really appreciate the draft example to help me feel a bit more confident about filling it out. I'm sure I'll have a lot more to write about that next time. A diary Thank you very much for existing, and thank you for helping me on this journey. Till next time, looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank 
you very much there, Machu. Hopefully next week's Dear Diary is a little, or next episode's Dear Diary is a little bit better. And so now we're going to go to our guest, and we've been so excited to have her on. She is a a multi-medal winner, one of New Zealand's top performing athletes, and has been performing at the top of her game for many years now. She's offered us lots of her insight, and a little bit more, like, we've, we've really found out about her, haven't we? So it's been really exciting. Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot, actually, from our conversation. And you, I'm, I'm sure uh, people who listen will find a lot of value, not only in the tips that she provides for future athletes, um, but also little bits behind the scenes that you probably don't know about, which is very, very interesting. So we won't keep you any longer. Here is the interview. You're listening to the Centre Pass Podcast. Our first guest on the Centre Pass podcast is an international para-javelin star who's tasted plenty of highs and plenty of lows. Holly Robinson is the reigning Paralympic champion in the para-javelin, having come up just short in the 2016 Rio Olympics and the 2018 Commonwealth Games. She's someone who has often questioned her future in the sport, but it's conquered many mental demons along the way. We are very lucky to have her on the show this afternoon. Holly Robinson, welcome to the podcast. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for coming along, Holly. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know that Cam has quite a few questions up his sleeve, so I'm going to try and get in there reasonably early. I wanted to talk about your first coach. We know a little bit about Raylene, and I'm sure we'll hear a lot of questions about her significant influence on your career. But I wanted to go back to Danny Spark, who I know is your first coach, and I want to hear a little bit about his influence on you in those early years that you were in this space. What a name. That sounds like a name for success, doesn't it? <laughs> Danny Spark. Spark it up. Yeah. Sparky is his nickname. He is such a great guy. And along my career, I've only ever had two coaches. So I've had Danny, who is my first coach, and Raylene, who is my current coach. So between the two of them, they've helped me to get where I am today. So I've been very lucky. But Danny... I actually just met him at the Greymouth Athletics Club and he was someone that initially saw a little bit of talent in me and he actually said to me one day, oh, you could be really good at this. Why don't we give it a shot? So I said, yep, let's let's have a go. And we started learning the shot put and the discus and we spent hours and hours in his shed at his house and just went over and over and over the technique. And as a young girl, I thought, oh, what are we doing? Like, why are we in the shed not actually throwing these shot put and discuses? But he was very technique-based, and I think a lot of older throwers are. He is an older um, gentleman, and so he was very technical-based. And it was a few months before we actually ever got out to throw a shot put. And by then, I'd built up a really, really good base of technique around some of the throwing disciplines. And uh, we went out and did it. And we just keep growing as athletes and coaches. He took me to my first world champs in 2011. And, you know, growing up on the West Coast, we don't have a track. So Danny and I, we just made do with what we had. And the javelin runway was a concrete pitch in the middle of the, the field. And, and that was our javelin runway. You know, we just did what we needed to do. And he's such a cool guy. We still keep in touch and has been a huge part of my journey. It's funny, isn't it? You talk a little bit about the concrete pitches from from way back when, and now you're running on on some of the biggest stages in the world, you know, and and competing for some of these massive, massive events. I wanted to know whether there is anything that Danny has ever said to you that continues to sort of ring true for you or has some sort of attachment, I guess, that you still think of 
even though now you've got a different coach and you know you're on these big runways all these sorts of incredible achievements is there anything from those early days that kind of rings true still for you yeah you know Denny was someone who taught me the basics in my sport around how to throw and and how to be an athlete and he has so many sayings and so many things that I always remember but one thing that I always remember him for is his passion for his athletics and he you know he could talk mm. your ear off for hours and even now when I give him a phone call it's an hour on the phone and it's just about athletics and the technical things and make sure you do this and make sure you're doing that but I will always remember his passion and his hard work in helping me achieve my goals. So has he still got a few pointers for you even today? Danny always has a few pointers, <laughs> whether it's through me or whether it's through ringing my grandmother up, which she does a lot and <laughs> tells him, I'll oh, make sure she's doing this or make sure she's doing that. She, he's always there giving me pointers, but he's awesome. And, you know, I can't thank him enough for what he's done for me. Awesome. Right. So obviously, Danny was your first coach and we're still going to move on to your, your next stage in your career there. I want to talk a little bit about uh, sort of mental fortitude and sort of dealing with emotions. We've had a chat about this a little bit ourselves before. So I yep. want to take us to two moments in your career. I'm sure you can probably think of the two moments because they're quite contrasting. And I want to know a little bit about what you were feeling and then sort of what Raylene had to say to you and how that made you go ahead. So the first moment for our listeners in 2018, I believe, Gold Coast, Holly Holly had the lead until the penultimate throw thrown by her <laughs> opposition, Holly, who then took the lead. And you had to go step up with one last throw with one chance to re-grab your gold medal position. What was the emotion like? How did you deal with it and how did Raylene help you through that moment there? Yeah, the 2018 Commonwealth Games was probably one of my best competitions, but also one of the most challenging ones leaving it. I, on the first round, actually threw a personal best, which was actually the world record. And so I was fizzing, like, first round, let's go, like, world record, what's up, you know? Like, that's that's a way to stamp your, your mark on the competition, right? Mm -hmm. And... I was leading the entire competition until, like you said, the last throw. But if you be fair to say, do you reckon that, that probably startled Holly herself a little bit when you stepped up and just set a world record? It's a big statement to make, yeah, isn't I, it? it? It is. And, you know, I think it's important to go and make those statements first up because people do get rattled. You know, even myself as a competitor, competitor seeing someone else throw a world record, I'll be like, oh, yeah, damn, she's on, like. You know, go you, girl. But I, I, I don't know what was going through her head. I just knew what I needed to do. And so, you know, throwing the world record was incredible. And I'd sort of, up until that competition, I'd always been beaten in the last throw. So I'd always okay. had that chance of winning gold, but it'd be taken away from me. And I got to the last round and I thought, maybe this is my time. Maybe it's my time that I'm going to stand on the top of podium. But unfortunately, on that last throw, uh, Holly Arnold from Great Britain did throw further than what what I had thrown. So she broke the world record again through her own personal best. And I had one throw to go and I was, I just couldn't believe it. You know, you, you never think going into a major event that breaking the world record, you'd get second. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was, it was crazy. And I just knew I needed to leave it all out there on the runway uh, in the last row, which I did. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough. Uh, so I had to settle for the second again. And it sort of knocked me a little bit, you know, I'd fought so hard for, for that championship and trying to get the gold medal and coming home, I just had a whole heap of mixed emotions. I didn't really know where to now. How do I finally get onto the top spot? Because I almost had that taste of it. I'd been settling for silver and bronze, but I almost had it in my hands up until the last thrower. So, so yeah, I have a quick follow-up question, if I can, on that in terms of not knowing where to go to from there. Talk us through then that whole period of uncertainty was it a case of coming back from competition and you know getting a drawing board and just basically cleaning that and starting again was it a case of just Mm. taking enough time off to to reevaluate, or was it just a case of just pushing yourself harder faster stronger Mm. for the next one which is so far away yeah I mean for me leaving Commonwealth Games it was a mix of emotions so even though I threw a PB and broke the world record, I still got beaten. So I'm like, what, what can I do? Like, what more is there to actually be done to win the gold medal? You know, I need to throw further. And so we sat down myself and Raylene and we talked about, you know, what can we improve? What can we work on? And so we worked really hard from 2018 to 2019 to work on those work-ons. So we stayed home over winter. We worked our asses off here in Dunedin and we came out in the New Zealand season and actually broke the world record again, which is the current world record now, which was awesome. super exciting. You know, I was fizzing. You know, that's still my world record now. And so that was really cool. But ever sort of since that time, I've had an up and down rocky road, I would say. I haven't really performed to where I would like to since breaking that world record. And I know I'm capable of a lot more. So along with sort of throwing those distances came a lot of pressure and I sort of really struggled with that pressure and struggled with you know how do I get there again how do I throw further and then came COVID which brought all its own own things with it. Was there anything in particular like in in the moment before you you stood up to try and get there that that Raylene had to say or did she just say look you know what you're doing go just go do it give it your all? Yeah I think being at the Commonwealth Games, you're you're not a newbie. You actually know what to do. You know, we train every day and we know how to throw, or I know how to throw a javelin. And so she just said, go out there, throw it hard, as hard as you can, leave it all out there. And, and that's what I did. And although I was very unhappy looking back, it was probably one of the best competitions I'd had. And, you know, I just got beaten by the better person on the day, but I was the best person that I could be. Yeah, I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of footage of you speaking to a lot of reporters after that Commonwealth Games medal and you know you just seem so genuinely stoked I think just to have (laughs) because of I guess that was the immediate emotion isn't it in terms of you've Mm. given it your all it was good enough for that but what was it like for the 24 hours after giving those interviews and you've you've basked in the glow of the silver medal but there's got to be a come down doesn't there after like you said I did all this it wasn't quite enough what more do I have to do Yeah, and honestly, the 24 to 48 hours after a major championship is crazy. And you go through all these different emotions and you go through, you know, what more could I have done or was I happy, wasn't I happy? Things change all the time. So initially, yeah, I was was stoked. I I was stoked to be at Com Games. It was my first Commonwealth Games. 
and that is the only event, major event, that's combined para and able-bodied athletes. So it was my first time on an NZOC team. So even that brought an incredible journey, an incredible experience for myself that I hadn't had before. And then the competition, you know, I, I threw a PB. I, I was really happy. But in the days after, I was sort of like, you know, it was so close. And I almost had it in my grasp. And I just wanted it so much more. In a way, it acted as a booster, I guess, to to train harder and to try and work harder to be that person. I didn't want to be the person that was getting the silver medal again. Off that, let's throw to what is the technically the 2020. Not let's throw. Don't say let's throw. <laughs> uh, oh. That's not intended, all right? Come on, man. Let's throw to the um, 2020 <laughs> Tokyo Games, which was held in 2021, obviously. A little bit different this time. Obviously, didn't come out and throw the world record to start. It looked like it was tough throwing conditions out there. I don't think anyone had really, really stamped their mark out there on that day. You know, obviously, no one snuck that world record off you or anything like that. I'm, yeah, I'm not quite sure where you're sitting when you're going into your last throw. Was it was it bronze or was it? It was bronze. Yeah. yeah. Into my last throw, I was sitting in silver. Yeah. So obviously, at that moment. You're in the medals, but you you know you're not going to be happy with bronze. No one's quite really stamped their mark on it. You've stood up and you've thrown the biggest throw of the tournament. You've put yourself in the gold. What did Raylene say to you there that that got you to manage those emotions and then just step up and find it? Uh, yeah, that that event was also very mixed emotions for me. Probably... In terms of performance-wise, in terms of distance, probably the worst competition I've had in years, but the best possible outcome, right? And the first five rounds was awful. I am the first person to admit, I don't know what the hell I was up to, actually. (laughs) Uh, I was very stressed. Raylene was very stressed. A lot of people back home were very stressed. And like you said, I, I wouldn't have been happy with bronze like I even said to Raylene if I'd settled for that bronze I'd walk home myself you know but yeah heading into that last round Raylene pretty much just what she said to me was get your shit together and go out and and leave it out there and so I thought you know I've got nothing to lose I'm sitting in the medals right now but I don't want to be sitting in bronze and so I just said a few words in my head that I won't repeat on (laughs) on the podcast (laughs) and ran down the runway and and just threw it and it went further than all the other throws which oh I was just huge relief honestly but also I knew there were two people after me that could throw further and that could take that off me so it was a very nerve-wracking time in those last two rounds but once the last thrower had thrown all the emotions say like Batesy and I we just big hug and I was over the moon I just couldn't believe it you know that that thing that I had been fighting for for a very long time was finally mine. And finally I got to stand on the top of the podium and and hear my national anthem play. And that's a moment you never forget. I remember you saying that that was something that you really, really wanted to do was to hear your national anthem at one of these events. And so I I know that I got got a little bit emotional. uh, Yeah, for sure seeing you up there with the national anthem um, i know you got emotional it was an awesome moment and it was a it was a lovely way for you to sort of cap off what was probably a pretty turmoil few years with covid and stuff like that i had a little side question how much does something like a year delay to your major event like that play into your 
I guess your planning and stuff like that because across mm-hmm. the games there was quite a mix across both the Olympic and Paralympic games there's quite a mix in either people absolutely smashing it and then lots of events where people were well off what they they were expected to be able yeah. to achieve there yeah I think for some people it's a blessing and for some people it's not so uh for myself I really liked having that break because I was in a bit of a hole and I don't think if the games were in 2020 I would have done as well as what I did I don't think I would have um, got that gold and so that break was good for me it gave me some time to really recuperate rejuvenate and get out there and, and chase it in 2021 but for some people it was the other way and now I also know in, in my event we've got some really young girls that um, are really incredible and so the girl that actually ended up getting silver she's only actually just come into the sport so that year also gave her the time to really um, get better throw further and she won that uh, silver from that so there's their pros and their cons but at the end of the day you've just got to do what you can do to make the best out of the situation awesome so she'll be one to watch at the next games then eh? a hundred percent she'll be one to watch in the very very near future I'm scared then to ask this next question in case she listens, but I'm I'm curious. I know you can't probably say the whole phrase <laughs> verbatim from what you were saying on the runway, but I'm quite keen to get a bit of an idea of the theme or the, um, I guess, the overall spirit of what you were saying, <laughs> because I think we're probably going to find, you know, that some athletes or some coaches may need to find these sorts of. We might tools. need to find some motivation later in this year that. Robbie might come from that same deep hole. Or I'll be walking home uh, myself. <laughs> I guess it's just the idea of kind of what what actually helped to power such a such a throw, really, and when it needed most. Yeah. Yeah, like I said before, uh, Rayleigh pretty much just said to me, get your shit together. But she also said, you know, you know what to do. You've got it there. Go out and do it. You know, this is your runway. Show them that it's yours. And so she knows me well enough to know what I will respond to and what I won't respond to. And so I think as a coach, that's what makes a good coach, right? You know your athletes, you know the people you're coaching. So get to know them and get to know what makes them tick. And that will make you a very successful coach, I think. That's actually really, really helpful. Obviously, Great question. Yeah, it was, mate. Well done. <laughs> obviously, uh, obviously, it's a bit late if you're at the Olympic Games to be trying to teach too much technique. Was there anything there that was technique or... Does she just say, like, that's it, go? There will be some things that are technique. So a classic example, I I wasn't getting any tip control on my javelin, so it was too high. And if it's too high, it's not going to fly very far. So basic one, keep your tip down. But it is very basic because at the end of the day, you're not going to move mountains when you're at the biggest event in the world. Just so small, simple tips and just that positive, supportive, you know what to do, go out and do it. Because at the end of the day, we do this every single day. So we do know it's just about making it click in the situation. Awesome. Awesome. I wanted to go to to goal setting. I think you'd be a very good person to talk to about this. Obviously, say in 2019 or just after 2018, when you were at the Commonwealth Games, the goal was to go to Paralympic Games and come away with a golden necklace. But I wanted to ask, where do you you break it down? Because that's obviously like, anyone who wants to compete in sport that's a big goal like you know it's the win the biggest thing in in your event is obviously the biggest goal you can have what what do you break it down into and and how small do you go yeah 
I think at the top level, it's very different for, for everybody. But for myself, I have that ultimate goal of being a gold medalist. But I also have those other goals where it's, okay, what is the distance that I want to achieve? You know, Holly, when I retire, what does that look like? Where do I want to be? But then also my daily training, each training I write down a goal for the day because that keeps me centered and it keeps me driven and what I want to achieve for that session. So it could be something as simple as I want to be able to feel my block on my throw. Or sometimes it's a mental strategy where I'm in the gym and I'm trying to push to failure and not fearing going to failure. Because sometimes I think I personally struggle with the fear of failure. So some of my mental goals are to try and push that boundary and to push that fear. And so they can be little, little goals that I have each day. I also set a goal for the week. What do I want to achieve? So that helps me keep direction in my training, but also keeps me motivated as well. Because I like to tick things off. I like to say, yes, I got that mean. Um, and that's what drives me. But everyone's different. Some people don't like that. But personally, I really enjoy having goals to be able to try and strive for. How many of your goals are sort of objective-based versus like a process? Or anything? It's, it can sometimes depend. What am I trying to achieve for the session? So sometimes it's a mental process. Sometimes it can be going to the track and throwing really light. As athletes, I don't think people like to throw light or throw, say, less than what you would normally throw. So sometimes I'll go out and I'll just be trying to work on technique. So my goal is to not throw far. It's just to throw the correct way wow. into a certain marker. And it can be challenging because sometimes you fear people, oh, what's she doing or why is she doing that? And so that mental process is something that's quite important for me. Yeah, sometimes it can be, I'm just going out to do six comps. I want to achieve this distance. It can really depend on what I want to sort of achieve throughout the session. And I have one more about this is, do you have, uh, like, obviously there's sort of, you've got your sporting goals there. Do you, do you have, and they sort of anything around sport, but do you have any sort of like emotional goals or human, human goals, you know, like be a better person style thing, but obviously that's a simple one. Yeah. And I think that actually comes down to a lot of my time during 2018 and 2019, where I was really struggling. I actually didn't know who I was as a person outside of my sport. So I actually sat down and I, I sort of planned out and wrote down what does Holly look like outside of my sport and, and who do I want to look like to other people and, and what do I want to achieve when I'm not a sports person? And it was a really pivotal point for me to figure out, you know, who I was and what I wanted to be, who outside of my sport, I guess you would say, and, and things like my career as um, hopefully working towards my teaching career soon, starting that journey and, you know, studying the journey into buying a house and things like that, they were all really important things for me. That's really important, I think, for other people to hear, um, whether that's um, athletes that are at a, a reasonably high level or even, in our case, you know, the the players that will end up coaching. You know, I think that's a really interesting yeah. insight that, um, that you raise, Holly, in terms of, you know, looking beyond being a sports person and, and other ways that you can be Holly Robinson, which is really interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah totally. I mean, and... I personally believe there's sort of two types of athletes. There's those athletes that can be athletes full-time and that's it. And there's those other athletes like myself that need other things for their mental well-being as well. And I'm, I'm that athlete. I need other things and I need to know who I am outside of my sport. And I need to thrive in those situations. And when I found that, it actually helped my sport so much. 
I was able to enjoy my time outside of sport. And then when I came to training, I enjoyed it even more, you know. Because like, at the end of the day, with every athlete, only only so many people in the field can achieve success. And so when you when you finish up your time as, a, as an athlete in your career, you pull away the medals or whether you did or didn't get them. There's still something you have to leave behind, whether to be a good sportsman or to be like a good husband or wife or something like that. You still want mm. to leave that impact out there, don't you? Well, and obviously you did that with the award that you then subsequently won in Tokyo in terms of the spirit of the games. And um, that was yeah. an incredible moment in itself that highlighted maybe another part of that four years or three years, sorry, between games. Yes, you'd done so much training. Yes, you'd done so much prep mentally, physically. But because of that extra work that you'd done as a person, that also became something that was recognised in Tokyo. Yeah, that and that was so cool. Winning the Visa Award was something I never actually ever imagined. And that award came about by just thanking the officials at the end of the competition. You know, I was over the moon, like fizzing because I just won my gold and I went over to them and, and thanked them. Because, you know, just like us coming away and moving away from our families for our sport to, to go to Tokyo, they also left their families to come there to support us to achieve our dreams, really. And yeah. so I was hugely thankful for their support. And then I got to MIQ and I found out that I was nominated and then finally won it. And I was over the moon, you know, like 14 days in MIQ to be able to win that, like was just made so much easier. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So um, obviously we've spoken a little bit about Holly Robinson, the person we've spoken a little bit about Holly Robinson, the para javelin thrower. But another thing we're quite keen to get your thoughts on is Holly Robinson, the netballer. Talk us through <laughs> A little bit about your netball history. I want to know a bit about what position you played, um, all of that sort of stuff. Come on, this is this is an exclusive. Oh, my netball days. Do you know, honestly, if I didn't specialise in athletics, netball would be my go-to. I actually love the sport. I used to play on the West Coast, so for my, my school over there, got to a couple rep netball teams for Western High, so yeah, woohoo, go Western High. I actually played defense, so goal keep, goal, goal D. And I loved it. I loved the sport. I, I loved having a team environment. And yeah, I really enjoyed my time playing netball. Unfortunately, when I specialized in, in javelin uh, and athletics, I, I finished my sport. I actually moved here to Dunedin at the same time. And my coach, Batesy, was sort of like, mm, I think maybe you need to kick netball to the back burner. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I actually, I actually went and played a social game without telling her and knocked myself out. Um, oh. <laughs> and, and got a Does very mild this? concussion. Does yeah, she? she knows this now. We, we haven't broken the news to her now <laughs> on this. Okay. <laughs> no, I didn't tell her I was playing and, and yeah, that didn't end very well. So you live and you learn. That was my netball days, hoping to, I guess, in the when I give up athletics, I might start a social team and, and join in because I really enjoy the team sports side of stuff. Look, we won't tell Batesy if you show up and, and turn out for our team. Yeah, we've got trials coming up uh, not too far away. Holly, can you commit on the podcast to attending trials? <laughs> I don't think I'll be attending trials. <laughs> okay, no worries, no worries. We won't hold that against you, mate. No, thank you very much. I think the other thing we're quite keen to talk to you about in the netball space is obviously for us, we're reasonably new to the sport uh, we're reasonably new to coaching in general. Is there anything that you think we need to know about coaching? You've played netball, you know, you've played to a reasonable level on the West Coast. Any tips, anything that you can remember from those days? 
<clears throat> it's going back a while now. I've I, I've been away from the West Coast for about 11 years. So that's 11 years ago for my netball time. I guess what I would say is just be there, be supportive of your, your netball team. Make sure you know, you know, what drives them, what do they thrive off and, and challenge them. Don't make everything easy. <laughs> Definitely yeah. challenge them, but be there to support them and create a good team culture. That's one thing that our squad has really well. And I think when you have a good culture around you, you just feed off it. Awesome. Anything else? There, mate? Yeah, I've got I've got one other thing. So obviously we don't know who our players are yet, but I would like to take this opportunity, if I can, to see if you have any words of advice for our players who are going to be playing at a pretty I don't know, reasonable level, maybe. Just whether you have any words of advice for them, any encouragement that you can give them as somebody who's achieved so much on the international stage to these athletes who aren't quite there, but they may have their own aspirations mm. one day. But do you have any words of advice for them? Yeah, I think my words of advice would be have goals and have dreams and work really hard to achieve them. I think if they're there at the trials, they're there for a reason. And so be clear in what you want to achieve and, and work hard to achieve those things that you want in your journey, I guess, would be my advice. I think that's going to wrap us up, is it? Yeah. No, thank you very much, Holly. We really uh, appreciate your time. It's obviously quite difficult, and I know you've been quite sick recently. So thank you for, for making time for us and amongst your schedule. And I know you've got quite a busy time. You've got some national championships coming up as well um so to be able to fit us in is uh is something that we genuinely really appreciate so holly thank you very much for your time yeah thank you very much holly. no thank you guys it's great to chat to you and all the best for your coaching journey i can't wait to hear about it and and to hear how your team goes this year awesome you're listening to the center pass podcast boy mate wasn't that great honestly i i have a lot of time for holly I think she's an incredible ambassador, not only for sport in this country, but for just just the way that you can conduct yourself and hearing from her about the level of, you know, just almost empathy that she had even for the volunteers in Tokyo. I, I think that really speaks volumes to how she conducts herself. And it's not something that's just come naturally. That's something that she's had to work on as well, which I think is a very important takeaway. Yeah, she's not just an on-the-field athlete, is she? She's an off-the-field athlete as well, which is, I think, really important in this day and age to remember. You know, the world can get pretty nasty out there. And imagine, she also said, you know, obviously if Tokyo went ahead in 2020, wouldn't have performed as well, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, it's the the weird, wonderful world of high-performance sport that we're, we're about to enter in the, the lowest level. That's exactly right, mate. Well... That's our first interview with an athlete in the can. Uh, let, let both of us know, I guess, how you felt or what you learned from the interview. Please get in touch with us at centre underscore pass underscore NZ on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Well, that is all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. Hope you enjoyed the insights as much as we did. Yeah, thank you for listening and bye for now. See ya. Check out center underscore pass underscore NZ on social media and on Spotify for more.